Episode 190. The one that we do in nomine Patris Ephilia Espirita Sancti. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you theotemologists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts! The hey, David, how are you? <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good. How's it going? You ever notice when I speak Latin, I almost sound Hindi? Inspector Sancti! <laughs> <laughs> when you speak Latin, I think well, that's that's the only Latin I've ever heard you say. <laughs> hey, I know more Latin. Salvete discipulis. That's about all I know. That means hello, disciples. Oh, well, I, I like you do shift like an octave or something in your voice whenever you do it. Spiritisanti. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. I'll stop saying that now. So, how you been? Oh, pretty good, man. Good. Uh, you got my Christmas present I saw today. I did. I did. And if anybody's wondering what I got David for Christmas, it wasn't on our Christmas list episode, although I should have. Gone with an olive tree gift card. I'll remember that next time. <laughs> I got hint, David. Hint. hint, hint. I got David a uh, a Theopop shirt that you can get from our Theopop. Uh, what is it? Our Spread, Theopop. Uh, Spreadshirt, right? Spreadshirt. That's right. Our Theopop store where you can buy merch. It's pretty neat. So yeah. anyways. We need I, to put, I, I, I need to put that link on uh, the Facebook page. I don't know why I haven't put that on there. Yeah, you definitely do. So, was it good quality? Did you like the shirt? Yes, yes. It's it's a tiny bit big. We were just discussing how to yeah. how to effectively, you know, like shrink a shirt without ruining it. So, I'm really interested in this word "effectually." I wanna I wanna see the end result. So, make sure you uh, yes. send me a picture of that. Because it's going to be uh, interesting. So, I, I'm not sure if I buy it or not, but hey. Oh, well, we'll see. So uh, <laughs> I, I saw more than one source, you know, uh, talking about it. So here's here's basically the gist of it. So so it's it's mostly cotton. Yeah. So it's an 80-20 blend. And shirts that are mostly cotton are susceptible to shrink anyway. And right. mostly, mostly, you know, it happens whenever you wash it in hot water and you dry it in a high dry setting or whatever. Right. Um, but what you can do, like sometimes that shrinks and sometimes it doesn't. But what, uh, but what you can do to, if you're purposefully trying to shrink it is the hotter the water, the more shrinkage you get. So. <laughs> I thought that was with cold water, but okay. Yeah, I, I know what you were thinking. <laughs> Okay. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so basically, what you do is you boil a pot of water. It's pretty simple. You boil a yeah. pot of water and then take it right off the stove. And while it's you know virtually boiling, you submerge the shirt in it using like a wooden spoon or something so you don't scald yourself. You yeah. submerge the shirt into it for five minutes, and uh, of course you can do it longer. But the reason why you would do it for five minutes is because you don't want to over shrink it. Right. And so what you, you let it go for five minutes, then you let it dry and it shrinks up. And so what, what they were basically saying is, is, I don't know how much I believe on this, but it said you can usually shrink a shirt two, maybe even three shirt sizes by doing this method. So like, for example... If it's still not small enough, repeat the process. Do it again. Yeah. And keep repeating it until it gets to be the right size. Huh. And uh, so anyway, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> so any Theonauts listening out there, try this experiment on your own. That's our science yeah. portion yeah, ru- ruin of your shirts. the podcast. Ruin Joe. your shirts and, and let us know. 
how it goes. Most of my shirts I ruin anyways because when I wash them, and my wife hates this. I just I throw everything in. I don't I don't do what my mom taught me, which is like I don't separate. I don't do anything. I throw them in there. I throw the detergent in there, and then I hit play on the you know what I mean on the on the washer, and then I throw it in the dryer. And sometimes I clean out the lid trap, but most of the time I don't, and I just keep going. You know, and so usually I have a nice new shirt. It's gone by a week because I just don't take care of my things the way I should. Well, oh, well. you know what? The the worst thing that happens to my clothes, and I, I guess it's the, I think it's the washer that we have. I don't know if it's like overly rough <laughs> on the clothes or what, but like the neck, the necks on my T-shirts, like after two washes, three washes, it's like they're all V-necks. Like oh, yeah, they turn to bacon. Yeah, it just stretches them out like crazy. And I'm like, what What gives? Like, <laughs> I can't keep a T-shirt. So, wow, that's And I crazy. thought, you know, maybe it's the brand or the style or whatever. And it, there are some that's more that's more susceptible to it. But, right. uh, man, it seems like at some point I can just count on my shirts becoming, you know. V-necks. Yeah, you know, something you would want to wear over your shoulders as a, at a, to a formal or something. <laughs> you seem to know a lot about the formal shirt wearing there, dude. Oh. So. <laughs> you know, that's that's a podcast we should do. Styles, like menswear that we wish would come back from like, I don't know, the from from the eons of menswear. I, I want ruffled shirts to come back. Like really, but in a bad way. Really, you know what I'm talking about? Like those, like like oh, really me. ruffled shirts with the and the ruffled. Oh yeah, yeah, like, the ruffled well, sleeves and stuff. Are you, are you talking about 1980s tuxedo? No, I'm talking like <laughs> I'm talking like Romeo and Juliet wear. Uh, leotards. Not a leotard. I'm talking about the shirts, <laughs> right? So think Lestat in vamp. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, interview with a vampire. It's like a pirate shirt, like a you know a pirate shirt. I wish pirate go. shirts would come back in style. Yes, those are cool, and I think I could pull one off. That's probably you know? got a proper name. I'd probably look like Meatloaf on the on the uh, the uh, music video. Uh, what is that? What is that song? Meatloaf does. Uh, oh, I won't do oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's probably what I'd look like. But I still want to wear one just because I think they're cool. Well, I, I kind of like those too. Like the, but not so much ruffles. You know, just kind of the 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 loose fitting with the string around yeah. the, the string tie at the neck. You know that sort of. Yes, thing. that's what I'm talking about. And uh, good looking stuff. You know, I was looking at. Of course, you know this is me, right? So I was looking at kilts. Of course. <laughs> and because at some point I am going to be in a kilt. Like it's just going to have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking at my at, funeral. You can wear a kilt. Oh, deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, so what? So anyway, I was looking at, at kilts. And so attire that goes with kilts, these type of shirts are like, you know, they go with mm-hmm. kilts. So, right. Well. Like so, I was looking at those, and you can even get like leather arm cuffs that, that go on them, you know. So <laughs> definitely, oh man, that's a good style. Yeah, I, that needs and to boots. come back in a big way. Yeah, that's manly clothing wear. You know mm, what I mean? Yes. Like when you Plan. have gauntlets. Yes. Oh, definitely. That's yeah, good stuff. You gotta go commando though. Uh no. Oh yeah, all the way. <laughs> At least right. put some tidy whities on that. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that, David. <laughs> we are way off topic. Yeah, I was way gonna say subject. we've really gone off the rails this time. Yeah, we have. It's great. But Our you know what? We're gonna it. get really reverent here in a minute. <laughs> That's right. We will. After we talk about wearing nothing under our kilts, we are going to get seriously relevant. Our re- uh, what is it? <laughs> reverent. Reverent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so funny. you want to go ahead and jump into this now? I feel like we need to bless it again. In nomine yeah. patri, spiritus actu, philia. Go ahead, roll it, <laughs> let's start.
So today, uh, coming off of, of Christmas... Um, Christmas tide. There was some... Yeah, we're still in the Christmas tide. Was we there? are. Today's the 4th. It's not right. day of Epiphany yet. Epiphany, that's right. When is Epiphany? The 6th. I believe the it's sixth, the 6th. When's Boxing Day? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like my, my liturgical calendar is very limited in in, in scope. Okay. <laughs> so, so um but <laughs> it, anyway, um so this was a little study I did for our candlelight service. And of course, you know, for any of you guys that are out there that are pastoring, preaching pastors, that sort of thing, you um you have these major annual your services. Yes. And it always becomes like, how can I do this without being the same old thing? Like you always want to kind of mix it up. And it's always really difficult to, to put, you know, a new spin on an old topic. And why we put that kind of pressure on ourselves, I don't know. You know, the word of God is amazing. Like it's <laughs> yeah, going exactly. to take, it's going to take care of it. Like you, right. But you know, when you're preparing the sermon, it's always, ah, how can I say this in a different way that I've said a million times at so many candlelight services? Yeah. I feel you. I, it's almost the same thing with Easter with me too, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But well, this was one of them that it jumped. It kind of jumped off the page at me whenever, because um, I'd been studying Emmanuel because that that's a, that's always a topic right around Christmas right. time. The yes, you know, because Matthew one right there mentions. They he will be called Emmanuel, and and so yes. we um, we got Christmas songs that we sing around this term, God with us, Emmanuel, and mm. so as I was looking at that, it dawned on me that in the same passage, where we get this whole Emmanuel thing, we also get the fact that he calls him Jesus, right? Yes. So. Um, I found it interesting that the 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 uh, the angel Gabriel visits Mary, and in the midst of this surprise announcement, guess what? You were, we're going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the midst of all that, there's and you will name him Jesus. Yes. It's not totally unusual, Elizabeth and or. Uh, um, my mind's going blank. Zechariah, Zechariah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Was he was told in a dream to name their boy John, right? Right. So, uh, so it's not unusual. But so the angel tells Mary, "You will call his name Jesus," and he tells Joseph in a dream to call his name Jesus. Jesus. So right. it's very purposeful. And so I thought it was very interesting. So let's start in that passage in Matthew chapter 1. You got that pulled up for us? I do. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. It's yeah. Everybody knows it. We read it every <laughs> Christmas. This is what it says. <clears throat> um, this is uh, the archangel Michael, right, talking to um, Mary Michael or Gabriel. Gabriel, sorry. Archangel Gabriel talking to Mary. Or talking to Joseph, sorry. Yes. Man, I'm all over the map talking to Joseph. Yeah. Gabriel okay. talking to Joseph. And this yeah, is it's the Archangel Michael talking to Mary. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel talking to Joseph, and this is what he says. Yes. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but didn't know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so twice in this passage, it specifically mentions that that he that he was told to name him Jesus and he did name him Jesus. In the middle you have that little thing about Emmanuel. But uh, but his his proper name that that he was given was 
Jesus. Now, you might ask, why? Like, what is what was the purpose? And why why this name? Why not, you know, Jimmy Joe or whatever? Why Jim Bob? Jim Bob. Why 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 not pick? You know, why pick this name? Like, what is it specific about this name? And the text actually tells us why. Look there in verse twenty one. What does it say? He says, "You will name him Jesus." Because he will save the people from their sins. Ah, so it tells us why he chose this name. And that, to me, was very intriguing. So it's like, so why does he say, like, for, for our, Western, our Western minds, we don't really think this way. Like, we, we've got people making up names, right? <laughs> like, names are just a moniker. Like, they're... Have, have you seen the Key and Pill uh, sketch where they, they do college football players' names? When they introduce themselves, it's like Jamali and Bacon, West Point. You know what I mean? It's like it's the best names ever. They just come up with all these random, and that's true. I mean, today I think we want to be unique in our naming of Mm -hmm. our kids, and so they just get more and more interesting and outrageous, and really don't have any meaning except for this is a cool sounding name, you know. Or you take so, one name and modify it a little bit and make it a different name, make right? It a, do a gender swap on the name or something like that. But yeah, um, <laughs> but in the, you're right. In the Eastern culture, this is a lot different. Completely different. Names have meaning, and uh, <coughs> in fact, especially in the in the Hebrew language, the names, the etymology of them uh, is very interesting. Like. If you'll go th- like through the Old Testament and just read where people are having babies, it'll say he named him such and such because, and then it'll give a reason why he gave right. him the name. And it's right. bec- because the name means something. Good example of this is right there in Genesis 4 um, when Eve has Seth. Mm-hmm. It says that she named him Seth for God has appointed me a man or anointed me with a man. And that is what his name means. Appointed. Right. And, um, and so Noah, Noah's name means comfort. And what's interesting is if you look at all the, um, the usages, like if we could read Hebrew, it would mean more to us because the Hebrew language did a lot of wordplay. And a lot of times mm-hmm. they do wordplay on the names, right? So, so it's like there'll there'll be some tricky little phrase in the Hebrew that we lose in translation. But the reason why it was tricky was because it was basically saying something about the name, and then it said the name. And um, so, like for example, uh, Jacob means heel catcher because whenever he was born. He was holding on to his brother Esau's heel. Right. And as he grew up, he became quite a heel catcher <laughs> all throughout his life. Um, then uh, you... <clears throat> A good example that I think of is Hosea's sons uh, and daughters, right? Mm, um, yes. The names that he gives uh, his, his sons is so, uh, or that God gives is, is it's so sad <laughs> but it but it's true you know um i was just i was looking this up and and thinking about that so jezreel right mm-hmm. um i'm about to pun punish king jehu's dynasty and avenge the murders he committed at jezreel so i mean literally like the reason he named him how about lo rahaman Right, <clears throat> which means not loved, for I will no longer show yeah. love to the people of Israel. Can you imagine walking around with a That's name? That's my that, name, not love. Yeah, not love. <clears throat> yeah, and <laughs> or low ami, not my people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so yeah, name etymology is very is very cool in right. in Hebrew and. Um, so, do you, do you know uh, the meaning of Jeremiah? 
Uh, I have it tattooed on my arm because of that. The reason when I found out the meaning of Jeremiah, uh, it was it's kind of like a battle cry for me. So the, the meaning of Jeremiah is God has appointed mm-hmm. or God has chosen. Uh, another way to read it is God's chosen prophet. Yeah. Which makes total sense, right? Because that's who Jeremiah was. He was God's chosen prophet for that appointed time. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that's the reason I got my tattoo whenever I got it. I, that's the one thing I wanted was, you know, um, and I got it in Hebrew. And people would say it's kind of uh, narcissistic. But at the same time, I love the meaning behind my name because it reminds me of who's in control. Yes. And who was appointed, you know, and so it's it's important. I, yeah. You know these these names are really special. Oh yeah, and and like there's a lot of names that end in Yah, like Jeremiah, yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh-huh. and, and that's Yah is a is a form of God's name, and so that's that's so God's name is in a lot of 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 names, right? Uh, especially and names that end in L, Daniel L yep. is a name of God as well. Uh, my name, I love my name. My name is a, a biblical name too. And so um, uh, it's, it's, it's actually very complex uh, etymology. At, uh, at, on the surface, it simply means uh, my beloved. And um, which means that all throughout the text, my name is scattered out as a, as, as a part of speech, not necessarily a name, but, right. you know, <laughs> Obviously, when we're talking about King David, or, or it's it would be pronounced David, and uh, that's the usage of the vowels. You put the certain vowels in certain places, and it and it makes that sound. However, if you take out the vowels and just pronounce it, it's a three-letter word. Uh, it's it could be just pronounced because the V's and the W's are inter- interchangeable, so it's like a D W D, which is dode, and dode is one of the Hebrew words for love. And that's why it becomes my beloved. It's actually the equivalent to eros in the Greek. It's it's a sexual love, but then it can also be used for to boil. Like if you're boiling water, you can use the word dode to. So my name means boil. It means eros. It means uh, my beloved. It's like all, and it even in some contexts it even means uncle. <laughs> so it's just, really yeah it's just really it's really strange and deep and but the cool thing is with the hebrews is all this rolls into each other so if you kind of think about my beloved and eros and boiling and um and oh caressing that's another name that's another part of uh, way it can be translated so it's like i don't know i just love the name and it's all throughout song of songs so i'm like yeah of course it is <laughs> <laughs> You lover, you. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So anyway, uh, so all of that to say, there's a reason why the angel said, name him Jesus. Now, to be honest, the angel didn't say Jesus. Right. Because Jesus is a English transliteration of the Greek that was translated from the original Hebrew Aramaic slash Hebrew. Right. Okay. So let's do a little back, a little, uh, let's step that back because it's always, it's always interesting to me how we got to the name Jesus. So the original, the original name that is being spoken here is Yeshua. That's the Hebrew for his name. It's Yeshua. That would have been the phonetic word that Gabriel told Joseph here. Right. Yeshua. So uh, how did that become Jesus? How did we get so far away from the original name? And it's just a simple matter of translation. And um, so in Aramaic, um, it's close. It's Yeshu. So the Yah which, by the way, is part of God's name, right? Yep. The Yah is missing in Aramaic. It's just Yeshu. Then you take that Aramaic and flip it into Greek, and the way it gets transliterated into Greek 
is also Yesu, but it's spelled differently because it's a different alphabet, obviously. And it's spelled I-E-S-O-U-S. So it's still Yesu, but it's I-E-S-O-U-S. Like that, obviously that's not the Greek letters. <laughs> right, that's, but that's what it looks like, sure. But that's what it is. And so, um, and because an I and a J are interchangeable, it, 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 could, be, it could be spelled Jesu. Right. Or because there's an S in the Greek at the end for the, it's Jesus or Jesus or that's where, and then by the time it gets to English, people are pronouncing it Jesus. Right. So strange that it made that trip, but it did. Um, So let's put Jesus, uh, the name, the the English name Jesus aside for a minute and look specifically at the original Hebrew. What does Yeshua mean? Yeshua means salvation. Mm. That's what it means. And in fact, just like... I was talking about my name being used throughout the Song of Songs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeshua's name is also used in regular speech all through the Old Testament. And he is uh, the embodiment of that name. He is salvation. Right. And so it makes perfect sense that um, that uh, uh, the angel would say, you need to call him Yeshua. For he will save. That's right. His, that's his purpose to to save his people. How beautiful! Yeah. And so, yeah. So all of a sudden, it's like this hard-sounding name that we're used to. Jesus has, and obviously Jesus is beautiful because that's how you. That's how we've come to know him, right? Right. But Yeshua, in my opinion, is even more beautiful because it's. It's a flowing name, and it has meaning. It has this deep um, etymology to it. Right. So I got to, I was curious. I was like, well, let's go find the word Yeshua throughout the Old Testament and see what we find. And I found this one that just blows my stinking mind. And that is Isaiah chapter 12. <laughs> so, so, so uh, go ahead. Isaiah chapter so do you want me to read it for you? Well, uh, no, I thought you had a thought there. Okay. No, I don't. Uh so I Isaiah and this is it's also interesting coming in the timing of the book too because uh Isaiah 11 is one of them that actually is a messianic prophecy, right? Right. And uh yes. <clears throat> and so now we get to Isaiah 12 and I want to kind of go through it a little bit. It's, a, it's only a handful of verses. So I want to go through Isaiah 12 because it, it just blows my mind. Like, you know, whenever we read about the shepherds encountering the angels in the field and the angels are singing, it wouldn't surprise me if they were singing Isaiah 12. Like, <laughs> it, it is so cool. So let, let's, step through, uh, let's step through it a little bit if you've got it there in okay. front of you. Sure. It says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. Okay, so... Right there in the very first of, of the passage, it says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. That's And that is God's proper name, uh, Yahweh. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Now, can we relate to that? Like what Isaiah is saying in that passage? Sure, absolutely. So we can we can understand um, the point behind it, and it goes back to um, Isaiah chapter eleven, where it's talking about the the root of Jesse um, coming up, and and the remnant being 
saved. Um, so in this in this passage, the Israelites who had rejected God are being saved by Him. Yes. And then when you move it to us, we who have rejected God through our sin, mm-hmm. um, are and and we deserve nothing but death because of it. Yeah. Um, like God is. Because this yeah. first passage is a is a cry, right? And it, he's basically saying, "You were angry with me; your anger turned away, that you might comfort me." This is this is salvation. This is forgiveness. This is this is conversion, right? That's absolutely that he's saying. And so the next passage says, "Behold, God is my salvation; I will trust and will not be afraid." Now the word, "my salvation." in the Hebrew, is Yeshua. (laughs) So technically, you could read that passage, Behold, God is Yeshua. I will trust and I will not be afraid. (laughs) So you see the double meaning that that, that begins to to play here. Yes, it's it's in one way it's saying God is salvation, but it's also saying God is Yeshua. And if Yeshua is the proper name of his son, then God is his son. Yeshua. He, he is Yeshua. That's um, right. And so, um, so anyway, then the next passage there says, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He has become Yeshua. Yeshua. Which makes me think of John... Chapter 1, right? Right. Where the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. He became oh. us. He became, God became Yeshua. And, <sighs> and so it's like all of a sudden, Isaiah is becoming a very, he's like, not only is he, is he predicting the salvation of the Israel people, but he's also predicting his own coming and the salvation of all mankind in this. Wow. Um, That's incredible. Let's look at the next, the next phrase after that. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Okay. Let's, and stop, you will... let's just stop right there. Okay. okay. So... <laughs> There's a lot going on right there. Yeah. <laughs> so read that again. That's so powerful. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. Okay. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of Yeshua. Yes. It's, that's what the <laughs> word is, Yeshua. You, you will draw water. With joy, you will draw water from the well of Yeshua. So think about all the times Jesus uses water as an example. And he calls himself. The living, living, water. the living water. I, I, you know, you think of the the woman at the well is probably the best example of this, right? Where if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a living water or for a drink from living water, and you would thirst no more, right? You know, and and in in you would spring up wells of living water. Yes. So <laughs> and what does she do? What's her response? To this, to show me where this water is that I may drink it. Yeah, she goes away like in celebration, right? With joy, right? We will draw water from the well of of Yeshua. <laughs> I just love that. It's like so, so deep. And even when Jesus is having his conversation with Nicodemus, right, in yeah. John three, and and. The, the familiar passages there, but what, what does he say? He says, um, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you don't have a place in the kingdom. Like, so again, he's using this term water metaphorically right. in, in this. And he's using himself, like this is water he provides. This is water that comes from him and salvation comes through this water. Uh, That's powerful. All right, go ahead and continue there. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Okay, wait a minute. Let's just stop. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, I told you I was going to be meticulous going through this passage. No, this is great. So he's what? So we just get through. He's he's using this term Yeshua as a as a noun and not necessarily a proper name. Right. But then he says this, like all of a sudden it's like nudge nudge, wink wink. He's <laughs> he says give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. I'm like, wow, this just blew me away. Like he's, he's doing everything but spelling it out to us here. Like he's, right. he's saying, I'm giving you the name. I'm giving you God's name, the name by which you will be saved. And you need to give thanks and call upon that name. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so good. So anyway, continue on. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. <laughs> so again, we're we're seeing this as uh, part of our our call is to do this. Make his deeds known among the people and proclaim that his name is exalted. Which name? Yeshua. Yeshua. Yes. <laughs> so, wow. It's just like, if you didn't know better, you would think you were reading a New Testament letter instead, right. of, instead of an Old Testament prophet. Like, he's, right. it's being way too specific here. Um, well, this, this makes sense. You know, uh, people are, <clears throat> I, I just did a sermon on Sunday um, over 1 Corinthians 15, um, where Paul says over and over again, what we proclaim to you, what I proclaim to you, I heard, um, and, and I passed on that Christ must die according to scripture, right? Mm -hmm. That, that he, uh, he must rise again according to scripture. And this according to scripture, people don't understand, but what Paul is not, he's not talking about any of the gospels. No. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Right, it's that the was same the only thing. Scripture they had at the time. That's they right. They it's didn't the have New Testament writings yet, or at least same thing. Right yeah. when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and uh, confronts a couple of his disciples, right, and mm -hmm. and uh, he he teaches them from Genesis on in the Scriptures how the Son of Man must come and die for their sins and be raised again. On the third day, right? Yeah. So this is what they're talking about. And the thing is, is you find Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. It's not just it, 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 the whole story points to him, the whole yes. thing. And so this is not just another amazing example of how in the Old Testament we are verified Yeshua is is what the story is about. It's about Jesus. Yes. It's powerful. So good. Anyways. So let's continue to read on. I think we can read okay. on through the rest of the chapter there. All right. So sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In your midst. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good, isn't it? Like yeah. he's talking about the incarnation. Like that's what he's yeah. talking about. Right. He he literally dwelled in our midst. He was Tabernacle. He was a, He was Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. And and yeah, this whole passage is about Yeshua. I wouldn't be surprised if the angels were singing it to the shepherds either. That's incredible. Yeah, and and so. You know, there's also a a, a, um, a shadow of the Great Commission in this passage. Sing praises right. to the Lord, for he's done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Go ye into all nations proclaiming. So that's the it's it's the it's the Great Commission. Right. Right there. And um and of course, now that they're at the bottom of the last of that passage, for great in your midst is, of course, we mentioned the significance of that, but it, the, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. 
The, this term, the Holy One, is very similar in the Hebrew to uh, the word Messiah. So, um, so Messiah, as in the New Testament and in the English, is going to be pronounced Christ. So, uh, so Hamashiach is the is the Hebrew for the Messiah, and so it says, "For great in your midst is Hamashiach of Israel, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ." The Christ, yeah. And so sometimes we don't we 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 may be confused and think that Christ might be Jesus's last name, which it is not. It is it is a title, right? Um, and and which just means the anointed one, the holy one, the chosen one. Mm. So um, so anyway, I thought this was all like really powerful, and then I wanted to kind of end up in um, in Philippians. Um, because to me, this passage with, with thinking about this, thinking about the name of Yeshua and then reading this passage, it like sheds a new light on it to me, or at least it did to me. So that's, uh, Philippians two, verse nine through 11. It says this, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Therefore, oh yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to continue reading, oh, but okay. that's what you want me to read. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so the thing that jumps out at me this time is the first part of this. So I had always read this and like, yeah, Jesus is the name of above all names. Like that's what it's saying. But that's not what exactly what it's saying. What it's saying is God, the subject of the sentence, God has exalted him and given him, bestowed upon him, the name that is above every name. Why, that's what we read happened in Matthew. (laughs) That's right. God gave him that name. God God bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Salvation. My salvation. My salvation. And so... um, My salvation, the Messiah. (laughs) Yes. So if you look at... If we read Philippians 2 with... A Hebrew, a Hebrew names type of mentality. What we what we read here is, therefore Yahweh has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Yeshua Hamashiach is Adonai Lord to the Lord. glory of Yahweh, the Father. Oh. Abba. <laughs> so anyway, I just think that that is significant um, because we may just think of Jesus as just being his name, like like everybody has a name, right? But his right. name, but his name is more important than that. It's the name above all names, and as uh, as as we're told in Acts. There's no other name by which you may be saved. It, 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 there is power in this name. And uh, so anyway, I thought that was, um, I thought that was a, a very God-honoring uh, little study about Yeshua. It's and, so powerful. And it's, you know, it, it, it just, um, it gives you new... Um, insight and and respect into the the plan and the power of god Mm. to bring about salvation right it's so beautiful god with us i can't get over it it's just incredible yeah it's good stuff very good amen thank you david yep so you got some news for us sure man let's do it and now the news 
All right, so I um, have an article from Christianity Today, the archaeologist's top 10 discoveries of 2020. They're really interesting. So, <laughs> okay, lay it on uh, me. So a couple of them that I just I thought were really neat. A church built on solid rock, which on a solid rock is pretty cool. A dig in uh, Benias in northern Israel has revealed the remains of a 4th century church built uh, as was a, co- a common practice atop a shrine to other gods. Mm. Benias was a cultic center of worship to the god Pan, and the shrine was likely for worship of the Greek deity associated with sex and spring. Christians in the 4th century, however, would have recognized the location as the biblical Caesarea Philippi. Yes, been there, done right? that. And, and so whenever you said that, it finally dawned on me um, where you were talking about. Right. I, I gave so, a whole sermon on this one time uh, about the Greek worship of Pan and the, mm-hmm. the mouth, the gates of hell, right? Yes. That whole thing. And the, the Binya, where the, where is the spring where Jordan is formed. Right. So Christians in the fourth century, they built a church there uh, where Peter told Jesus, your name is Peter. Right, and yeah, upon yeah. this rock I will build my church. Right, yeah. and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They've uncovered literally, literally, literally built a church upon that rock. Upon that rock, and uh, right, it's so it's so cool. Uh, they one of the stone in the ruins was marked with a cross etchings left by pilgrims who visited the church shortly after Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. So, I mean. That's super cool. Yeah, that's way neat. Um, a fort allied with King David. Archaeologists uncovered a fortified building in the uh, Golan Heights, dated to the time of David's rule, about mm. 1000 BC. A large basalt stone in the fortress is engraved with two horned figures with outstretched arms. Archaeologists believe this building was an outpost uh, of the kingdom of Gesher, an ally of King David, David's wife, uh, Maka, M-A-A-C-A-H, is it Maka? Uh, I don't know. She's the mother of Absalom. Yeah. Uh, was the daughter of, she was the daughter of the King of Gesher. So this one's really funny, but it's kind of cool. Holy smoke residue. A new test on organic remains. On the burned surface of an 8th century BC altar revealed a residue of marijuana. What? <laughs> this is this is the first evidence that cannabis was associated with any form of worship in ancient Israel, and the oldest known ritual use of marijuana to date. The altar mm. was dedicated to the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The worship center at the desert stronghold of Arid was first excavated in the 1960s. Tests done half a century ago came back inconclusive. New tests were done using improved equipment and techniques. The second altar at the site carried traces of frankincense. (laughs) So that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. All right, how about this one? A temple to rival... Jerusalem. I mean, I could go on, but these are cool. Okay, I got to read these. Tel Aviv University archaeologists calculate that a temple discovered during the reconstruction of Israel's Highway 1 near Jerusalem was built around 900 BC. The Matzah Temple uh, is estimated to be similar in size to the temple built by Solomon a half century earlier and just five miles to the east. The rival temple was likely used to worship the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Hmm. So... Yeah, the discovery was startling, but fits well with the Old Testament narrative of national disputes over where, how, yep. and who to worship, right? Scholars think some key scriptural texts were composed as defense of Jerusalem-based worship, and First Kings recounts how, during the same century, the northern king of Israel constructed worship censers at Dan and Bethel, which makes total sense that yeah. he would have he yeah. built his own, right? Um. Oh, this one's cool. A church uh, in a house at Laodicea. Turkish archaeologist Cecil Simsek discovered sacred items used in Christian worship while excavating a house in Laodicea. Uh, The peristyle house built around a central garden or courtyard 
was located next to a theater and was likely owned by wealthy people. The Apostle Paul, of course, we know, sent a letter to the church of Laodicea, uh, which is mentioned in Colossians but appears to have been lost. The church is also mentioned in Revelation when Jesus condemns the Christians for saying, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing when actually they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So yeah. their church was in a rich man's house. <laughs> that that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and the, uh, these two, very interesting. So they've discovered that a replica of the Dead Sea Scrolls is real, and there are fragments that are fake that we thought are real. Mm. Ongoing problem from biblical biblical archaeologists is determining authenticity of artifacts they don't personally excav- excavate. The items sold on the antiqu- antiquities market uh, this year saw major examples of how cutting-edge technology can help. A clay seal impression, once believed to be a forgery, was shown to be authentic, while fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, once believed to be real, were uncovered as fakes. Ben wow. Gurin, university professor of Yuval Gorin and his team determined that a bulla or clay seal depicting a roaring lion dates to the reign of Jeroboam II, who ruled from 788 to 748. It was purchased at a, a Budin mar- market for a small sum a few decades ago. At the same time, a firm that specialized in detecting art forgery discovered that 16 fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the collection of the Museum of the Bible that's you know where that's at. That's in uh, D.C., isn't it? Um, were were all modern forgeries? The museum won praise for its thorough investigation, <laughs> and now and is now displaying the fakes with an exhibit focused on the problem of forgery. There are more than seventy other possible fakes fragments that have been offered to evangelical collectors since two thousand two. Wow, man, that's nuts. And then the number one discovery is the remains of Manasseh's reign. Mm. The discovery of the remains of a palace possibly belonging to King Manasseh, the ruler of 2 Kings 21, who did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger, and led the people to do more evil than the nations had done the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel, dramatically expanded archaeologists' understanding of the reign and the later kings of Judah. The ruins are located on the Ammon Hanatsev Promenade, a site that overlooks the Temple Mount and the old city of Jerusalem from, from the south. The Proto-Elion stonework is associated with royal buildings of the first temple period. The structure dates to 55-year rulership of Manasseh, who took over the southern kingdom from his father, King Hezekiah. A few blocks away, near the newly constructed U.S. Embassy, archaeologists also found the remains of a large warehouse. It is believed to be a centralized food distribution facility and perhaps also served as storage for archaeological surplus. Um, A decade ago, archaeologists uncovered the remains of a palace and administrative center near the Ramat Rachel. This year's publication of the report of the excavation combined with the new dig, shows scholars that the area along the road to Bethlehem was a major center of activity for the later rulers of the kings of kingdom of Judah. So we all know the story of Manasseh's reign, and uh, uh, he was, would you say he was the worst king of the southern kingdoms? Uh, he's often considered such. He's um, He was a Moloch worshiper. Uh, right. And which was a big into child sacrifice and... Uh, burned his own child in sacrifice. <sighs> However, there's an interesting thing that that a lot of people overlook, and that he can that he um, repented. Like in 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 right. in Second Kings, it doesn't say so, but in Second Chronicles, it does. So there's a there's a, like a whole chapter about his coming back to God and cleansing the temple and all this stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, very very much is. Um, <laughs> All right, also in contemporary news, so moving from archaeology to contemporary Christian news, okay. Justin Bieber is the apparent, the Biebs is apparently planning to go to Bible school to become a pastor for Hillsong Church. Nice. <laughs> yes, he's going to take over. Uh, I don't know if you knew that the Hillsong Church pastor um his last name's Lentz. he was ousted from hillsong in 2020 for then covered some 
extramarital affairs and cheating and scandals and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so he quit. Uh, so Bieber basically said he's going to take it upon himself to, to, uh, uh, clean this uh, house. Exactly. He's going to give stability to the church and, uh, and fix everything. (laughs) So pray for Biebs. I mean, Hey, that's pretty cool. If Justin Bieber becomes a preacher, that's, I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm not a big fan of Hillsong's theological stances, but I'm a big fan of the Biebs. So, uh, I wonder if he's going to incorporate baby, baby, baby into his, uh, into his, sermon series sometime i'd love to hear that it'd be interesting oh man so what would be good is if shia labeouf joined in right oh yeah that'd be great (laughs) that's awesome all right um a pastor is dead following a church shooting in uh in the in texas i don't know if you heard about that no i didn't on january 4th yeah uh, 62-year-old pastor Mark McWilliams was killed in his church after confronting the shooter. Authorities say McWilliams pulled his firearm in an attempt to, sh- to apprehend the 21-year-old uh, Martez Woolen, who was hiding in the church bathroom, but Woolen wrestled the gun away from McMul- McWilliams and shot him with it before fleeing. Woolen was later arrested for stealing McWilliam- McWil- McWilliams' pickup truck. So apparently... Hmm. Woolen's a suspect in two drive-by shootings in another town, and he he went into their church to hide out or something, and and so the pastor took it upon himself to to bring him out, but he pulled a gun and the guy wrestled it from him and shot him. Wow. So pray for that church. It's, it's just you know it's it's horrifying. Um, any any church shootings? I remember being there whenever that horrible one happened in Texas. What was that? Three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a small church, a lot like ours at the time. And yeah. my heart just breaks for that kind of stuff, you know. But it's the time we live in. Um, I, have, I have two things. Okay. The first one is this. I'm sure everybody heard today Congress's opening prayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, who was who? Who's the um, who was the speaker? I, I can't remember. Oh yeah, so he was a Democratic representative, Emmanuel Cleaver, who was invited to open with the hundred and seventeenth Congress in prayer on Sunday. So he started by praying to God, Allah, Brahma, all these others. Now he's a Methodist, supposedly a Methodist pastor, I think, or something like that. But he just he opened with that, and then then he said, "Amen," or "All woman," <laughs> which to me it just shows a lot of it's just ignorance. Yeah, it just, it's absolute ignorance. It shows s- how theologically uh, unsound he is. Because yeah, because that word has nothing to do with gender. It doesn't it, at all. It simply means so be it. May it be so. Uh, or we agree with you. That's what that word means. That's the etymology of that word. If we're yeah. talking about etymology today. Yeah. It has nothing to do with women or men. It, it's just how that word developed. And to, and to take that and to make it into a gender thing is, to me, it's ludicrous. But even worse than ludicrous is including Brahman in your prayer alongside Yahweh God. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. man is braver than me because to put Brahman, who was a evil, evil god, I'm yes. sorry, but this is, this children's is what, sacrifice is a part is of his thing. Manasseh was, a, was doing. Yes. He was worshiping and, God, but he was also uh, worshiping Moloch. Right, Six exactly. Six one way, half a dozen other, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll be inclusive here, but by being inclusive, you are defaming God's name. And so the, the reason I bring that up is because I want to take a uh, a time ship and go back into today in church history. So right. if you'll help jumping, me with that. Jumping in the TARDIS as we speak.
we're out of the TARDIS now, Jerry. Oh, we are? Okay, yeah, I good. pointed at Sorry. you. You pointed and I missed it. I was looking. I'm just going to read the, the entire article. This is from Christianity.com, but it's I love their timeline thing because today in church history, um, the imitable Pe- uh, Peter Marshall took on the Senate, and this is the, the story from today. It just fits. As a matter of fact, as I think back over the evidences of the Lord's guidance in my own life, I feel ashamed that my faith is not more radiant, uh, not a more radiant, courageous thing. Would you be able to say that if your father had died when you were four? If your stepfather had been a jealous alcoholic who made life so miserable you tur- tried running away uh, to see at 14? Peter Marshall, the man who wrote that line, was born a few miles from Glasgow in uh, Scotland. As a boy, he was inspired not only by heroic tales of the sea, but by the life of the missionary David Livingston. Shortly after his stepfather kicked him out of his home, he offered himself for mission work in China. Without financial support, he could not fulfill his educational requirements, but he had made a a definite commitment to work full-time in the Lord's service. He began taking night classes. It was hard. Sometimes he failed courses, having to work nine hours a day. God led. A cousin urged him to go to the United States, assuring him that he could expect greater opportunities there than in his native land. The cousin would pay Peter's way. Peter prayed. For three weeks, he uh, pestered God about it. Then one day, he knew God meant him to go. In America, things proved tougher than he expected. He had to dig ditches. He had no friends. He had no church. Then God sent him an offer from Alabama. Within the space of a few short weeks, I had joined the First Presbyterian Church, had been recommended by the session as a candidate for the gospel ministry, had spoken at a prayer meeting, and had been elected president of the Young People's League, had become interested in the Boy Scouts of that church, and had been asked to become the teacher of the men's Bible class. God supplied the money for his education. He sent Peter to specific uh, pastorates, the last of them was at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington. His sermon so thrilled the Capitol that hundreds of people had to be turned away from the church each Sunday. There was life in his words because, as he expressed it, Jesus had tapped him on the shoulder and his life turned around. I love that line. Mm. So cool. On this day, January 4th, 1947, the Senate appointed Peter Marshall to be their chaplain. Wow. What a far cry. I know. Sinners used to come early just to hear him pray. And this is how he prayed. O Lord, our God, even at this moment, as we come blundering into thy presence in prayer, we are haunted by memories of duties unperformed, promptings disobeyed, and beckonings ignored. Opportunities to be kind knocked on our door of our hearts and went weeping away. Marshall was chaplain only a couple of years. He died of a heart attack in 1949 at the age of just 45 years. Wow. This this poor man from Glasgow, Scotland, chooses to follow God and ends up becoming the chaplain of the Senate. And mm-hmm. this is, I mean, this is in the 40s. So yeah. you go, what's happened between the 40s to 2021 where we have a <laughs> dude who doesn't even know the meaning of amen opening our Senate in prayer. Mm. It just, it's heartbreaking to me, but it's an amazing example of, you know, of how we've changed and how we need to pray. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that'll encourage us to, to take up a more of a stance and, and to be strong in our faith as Christians. Anyways, that's all I got for you today, man. All right, man. Well, you ready to get on out of here? Hey, let's do it. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Visit us on iTunes or listen to us on Stitcher Radio. Don't forget to like us. Right? Because I don't have my yeah, notes in yeah, front of me. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was pulling them up and I couldn't get them in time because you well, jumped right there. There are several ways. <laughs> That's can, right. You can contact us and leave us feedback. 
Send us email to theonots at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Have you got What's it yet? my next one? Tweet Almost us. there. Oh, not tweet to us. Oh, yeah. Uh, follow us on Facebook, right? Yeah. At facebook.com slash theonauts. Uh, and like, yeah, like us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. I'm sorry. And if, Go you, ahead. if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And then don't forget to tune in again and explore the regions of God's work with us. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah. Thanks for being here, brother. Hey, thank you, man. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. That video room ain't gonna be a youth hangout.